As we do it every Friday morning in our final half hour, we welcome in the global grassroots movement of consumer choice and our friend Yael Osowski. He and his tag team partner, David Clement, host the Consumer Choice Radio Show. It airs weekly on Saturdays at 10 a.m. here on the Big Talker FM as part of our great weekend block of programming. Tired of talking about drive-by shootings, uh, mask mandates, and uh, all the other uh, you know, upsetting things uh, that uh, you know, we often lay out for you uh, like no one else does uh, here on the Big Talker FM. Trying to bring some encouragement into the conversation, at least a little information that you can take with you for your next uh, conversation and debate with people who may not uh, you know, see things the way you do, which is... Uh, quite okay we live in the u.s of a and we're supposed to be able to have discussions with well like-minded folks and others all together and at the end of the day you know throw one up pour one out for the homies and you know enjoy your life just a bit rather than always being a negative nancy but I guess when you're dodging bullets at Fifth and Grace, uh, the way my car was earlier this week, it, it makes you, you know, a little upsetting in your stomach. But nonetheless, here we are. We're vertical, and we're happy to be here. And we're happy to welcome in Yael Osowski from the Consumer Choice Center. Yael, I hope all is well, my friend. Yes, I'm similarly vertical, but uh, my happy hour begins before yours, so that'll change very, very soon. Well, it's 5 o'clock somewhere, as my grandma always taught me. So, uh, you know, we live at the beach, and it is a Friday, so your happy hour may be getting underway shortly, but I will be following, you know, not soon after. Very soon after, I should say. Uh well, that's good. I wish uh, I could open up one of these beers I'm staring at in the office because uh, it's a hot day. There's a lot of stuff going on in the news that have been keeping me busy on the fingers. Uh, and uh, it's been uh, quite a week, Joe. So uh, excited to, to chat a bit. Well, there's no question. And uh, first and foremost, uh, I want to get your you know, update because uh, your wife has been uh, you know, uh, having a couple of spa days over the last uh, few days this week. So it's been daddy daycare for yourself and your little beautiful three-year-old. Uh, what's that been like for you here uh, through the last few days? You know, it's it's been tough. There hasn't been as much Peppa Pig as you might expect. Uh, <laughs> I've kept that down to a minimum. But, yeah, it's definitely definitely something. You know, you have to juggling, you know, your family, your job, uh, your children. It makes it very difficult. And, you know, you always got to think of ways to continuously entertain and provide some kind of fun thing to do, some activity, some place to go. Uh, luckily, there's a lot of parks around here, so I, I try to go to the private park because, you know, I, I like private stuff. Hang out at the <laughs> private park, you know, hang out. You know, there's a lot of other parents there, so you can kind of chit-chat, get to know them a bit. So that was pretty cool, but um, kind of a swelter. So I uh, unfortunately had to walk all the way back home and endure the heat. But uh, it's been a fun couple of days, you know, and I really do think we should throw as much support to uh, all of the moms out there who do provide a good number of uh, or a good percentage of the child care in our country. And I think they're, they're doing an amazing job. Uh, we probably don't give enough recognition, Joe, well, but uh, also for the dads out there, too. Well, let me uh, just give you a little word of advice as someone who does a lot of daddy daycare uh, for one reason or the other. And I enjoy it in many cases that uh, you need to cozy up to a couple of friends that have big families. 
And uh, then you all go out, well, to the beach or to the park, and then she just becomes, you know, part of the litter, so to speak. And, uh, you know, they run around and they have a great old time. They entertain each other, and you get to sit on back there, throw the recliner up, and maybe pop open that beer uh, that you're looking at this morning. So just, uh, you know, maybe some words of encouragement and advice for you next time. Find a you know, a circle of friends, uh, you know, out there in Vienna, and, uh, you know, just throw her in the pack, and, uh, you know, all will be well. You know, there's there's a lot of actually interesting sociological research on particularly dads, uh, especially those <laughs> in our 30s, and how they make friends. And actually, the majority of dads in their 30s, they make the majority of their friends through either their uh, kind of kids' friends' parents or their wives' friends' husbands. So our social circles are getting, you know, shorter and shorter and smaller just because we're, we don't have the active social lives that we used to. So I have been able to, to meet a couple of people, but it's, it's interesting to see that kind of research. Uh, we're always looking for bros here. That's, uh, uh, that's our policy. So pour one out for the homies. I'm all in on that. Well, I came, uh, well, what was it, Fourth of July weekend. I had from, some friends uh, from uh, Greensboro uh, who were in town, and uh, they are of the Hispanic uh, descent, uh, well, uh, from El Salvador and Mexico, and they roll deep. So they brought the whole, uh, you know, family, grandparents, and uh, you know, their fifty-eight children. And boy, yeah, my daughter was like one of the one of the, one of the family that weekend. And uh, while I was in daddy daycare for most of that Fourth of July weekend, uh, I was enjoying my life just as much as she was with all of the kids that were in the area. So I'm just saying, uh, you, you find that group and you just kind of you know attach yourself to it. Well, if you're going to send your daughter to a gang, uh, it's best if you choose the gang and uh, you're okay with touché, the bosses. And the yeah, yeah, I hear that you have some uh, constructive criticism here this morning that you would like to deliver. I get it from time to time from, uh, you know, well, plenty from the trolls out there who feel that they know it all. Uh, and others, uh, you know, that I work alongside, hey, you could do this maybe a little bit better in your delivery, you know, a little less ums and ahs and uh, more, you know, allowing a pause uh, rather than trying to fill up time, you know, let that pause settle in. It's for emphasis. Uh, so this week and uh, the week prior, uh, we had the opportunity to catch up with two of the leading Republican candidates in the U.S. Senate race here in North Carolina ahead of the midterms in 2022. We had Governor McCrory on earlier this week. We had Mark Walker on. He's been uh, a guest on the program a few times uh, prior to that, uh, and uh, you had the luxury of listening to those conversations, and now you would like to uh, provide some constructive criticism, or you'd like to judge the ways in which I conducted those interviews, uh, from what I hear this morning. Yeah, no, I just think it takes another, you know, there's a little bit of analysis, right? You need some analysts uh, to kind of diagnose everything <laughs> that we heard. I think I think both interviews were very good. I think you kind of held court. Uh, you know, you, you definitely showed that you're the guy with the microphone and the megaphone, and you know you steered them in, in a good direction. We were able to get some of their personality. Uh, obviously, a lot of it is based on just this ridiculous ghost of Trump that everybody wants to tout. So I, I know that a lot of people are running from that, but I do think the pressing, you know, what makes you different than the other candidates and try to needle them, that was very good. I especially like that with Walker. And with McCrory, obviously, he's a skilled dude. He's been on the radio for years now. Uh, he kept it a bit general. You know, it seems as if he's been looking at the poll results and just saying, OK, it looks like socialism's down, critical race theory's down. Uh, I guess somewhat Trumpism is up, so I'll, I'll try to play with that a bit. I didn't hear any new original ideas, and you need that if you're in politics, especially if you've been in politics, you know, for half of your career. 
you better come to the table with new ideas if you're looking for a new job. So I, I was hoping to get a bit more from there. You did press him, though. I think that was good. Um, you could even, you know, go tougher. It's like, hey, what are your original ideas here? Because you're just saying I'm the most conservative. I am conservative. Well, what does that mean? Define that. That, that would I would have taken that the next step. But I think overall, he did a good job. Uh, I think the listeners to the big talker definitely got great analysis and, and got to hear from them directly, which is very good. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to you perhaps uh, hosting one of these debates. Uh, it doesn't have to be on any of these, you know, Bozo TV stations. It can be right here on the radio. Well, no question. We've got a beautiful studio here overlooking the Cape Fear River and the battleship. I think no perfect setting. Uh, we've got three uh, chairs and microphones all set up perfectly for those three uh, leading uh, GOP candidates. And for Governor McCrory, well, uh, his staff has agreed that he'll be coming on uh, uh, every couple of weeks with us. Uh, Congressman Walker is always available, still trying to find uh, Representative Ted Budd. Uh, his staff has not yet kind of returned any inquiries that we've sent uh, their way. He, he has put together an ad buy uh, throughout uh, much oh, of no, North he's, Carolina. He's, uh, Joe, he's too busy, uh, quote unquote, crushing the liberal agenda with a monster truck, if you've seen the ad. So <laughs> he's a bit busy doing that. He can't really do the interviews right now. Following, uh, what was it, the footsteps of uh, the governor of Georgia. Remember Brian Kemp when he had that uh, commercial? Hey, look at my pickup truck. I've, I rile up some illegals and drop them off at the border. <laughs> that was yeah, quite the classic. Yeah, that way. And, that was quite... and, I, and I, do like, I do like hearing the ads. And I, I think that's one, one thing I love about radio is just kind of hearing what they put out there. <laughs> the ad that, that is just basically Trump saying, you know, I absolutely and totally endorse this candidate. It's interesting. <laughs> I mean, he you played know, we'll that. see if it'll play. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, in a Republican primary that also includes unaffiliated voters, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, how it shakes out. Uh, it should be a, a fun race. It's going to be a very expensive one once it becomes, uh, you know, into the general and uh, the leading Democratic candidate, Sherry Beasley, uh, nearly won her reelection for Supreme Court uh, Chief Justice and uh, has some name recognition. Uh, comes with uh, you know a slew, of course, uh, as far as her record goes when it comes to decisions that she's made at the Supreme Court level. So there'll be plenty to uh, you know pick and choose from as far as some of the topics uh, that uh, you know, Republicans will highlight uh, as far as her record uh, when we get into that portion of the election cycle. Yeah, you're not wrong. There's going to be a lot of focus on what's happening in North Carolina with the Senate race. A lot of money, as you mentioned. I do like this kind of metric of looking at how much money is coming from out of state. That's going to be really interesting to follow. So who are the people who are raising more money from, you know, let's say the national Republicans? Who are those who are raising money from the grassroots and from people here in NC? That's what's going to be really interesting because I think there's a lot of cleavages. There's a lot of stuff that's being projected onto the races. And the one thing we don't want to have in North Carolina is one that's just driven by what the federal politics are, you know, what, how, what are you going to do to improve the lives of North Carolinians? You know, not the broad conservative agenda, just the average person. I, I would agree with what McCrory said is like, we have to think about the moderates a bit. You can't just toss them by the wayside. There's got to be some thinking of how we're going to improve North Carolinians. So we're, we're covering it. We're following it, Joe. And, uh, Thanks to the big talker, I know we'll get more of these interviews in the months to come. Yeah, we're looking forward to them. Uh, anytime we get closer and closer to an election, it's always fun to talk about uh, and with the candidates uh, who are seeking your vote and then those you know who are defending uh, the decisions uh, they've made uh, during the course of a term in office, uh, whether it be from city council here in Wilmington or all the way up uh, to some of the highest levels of public office in Washington, D.C. 
And, uh, you know, and speaking of uh, Washington, D.C., we've got this $1.2 trillion infrastructure plan that has garnered the, the support of a, a group of Republicans, including our two North Carolina senators and Tom Tillis and Richard Burr. We had Grover Norquist on yesterday, and he kind of you know, went through the politics of it. And once Mitch McConnell kind of got on board with this, uh, then the Republicans uh, followed, including Mitt Romney and some of the others. Uh, but when we talk about the devil in the details, isn't this how it kind of always goes? Uh, th- there is no legislative text yet uh, detailing all of the $1.2 trillion in spending. Uh, I've heard that the uh, PRO Act, which would seriously damper my ability to make money off uh, some of the side hustles uh, that uh, you know help supplement my income, is included in this infrastructure bill. Not really sure what that has to do with infrastructure per se. And also, how are we going to pay for the $1.2 trillion in spending? You have a pretty good idea on what may play out, right, Yael, if, in fact, this moves forward? Yeah, I think uh, if we look at the whole bills, $1.2 trillion, uh, $550 billion is sort of brand-new spending. This has been plucked out of nowhere, and the new stuff that's kind of on the Biden agenda. Obviously, one big one that I've talked about and written about is their broadband initiative, Uh, Now, this is pretty ludicrous. The idea is they're going to centrally manage and control how people get Internet in our country, which I think is uh, really ridiculous. They're all in on fiber. The moment that we have all these satellites going up to provide Internet, uh, we have all these great mobile networks that are expanding everywhere. I mean, North Carolina is getting more and more more mobile networks. And it's this kind of stuff to where you see the billions of dollars being spent. You know, it's all good once you see it on a piece of paper. Uh, but what it will actually mean for us who have to pay for it? And I think you did in the last segment a good job of highlighting the important needs for infrastructure spending, particularly if it comes to beach areas like Wilmington, if it comes to coast towns. That's very necessary and important. Uh, but how they're going to pay for all the additional stuff that we're talking about, including all the subsidies for various industries, is they're talking about <laughs> targeted corporate user fees. Now, that's one term that a lot of people won't be familiar with. A user fee is much like when you use a service, you're charged a particular fee for doing so. And that's what every single government agency does to get anything approved, is they have to essentially pay the agency for their time. Now, what they're saying is they're actually going to increase this and target it. I have no idea what this will mean in terms of money or figures, but it will mean that the cost of doing business will go up. And there's plenty of small business people around North Carolina who've had to fill out all kinds of forms. They've had to do all kinds of applications. They have to do all kinds of permits, both federal and state. That means they're going to pay more. So that doesn't sound very good. And the second one that I'm obviously very uh, angry about is the idea that they're going to crack down on cryptocurrencies, particularly taxation on cryptocurrency. The IRS does ask you now how much crypto you have in your account. Uh, when you file your taxes, which I think is none of its business, but that's something that who knows what that enforcement will mean. Does that mean they're going to have a whole crypto tax division? All these guys looking if you've ever bought anything on crypto, if you connected to it in any way, what will those taxes look like? Are they going to put that in your income tax? Is there going to be a surcharge? I mean, it's this kind of stuff to where we understand the need for infrastructure spending. Uh, but when we go to this next level and you start talking about ways that we can increase all the taxes on user fees, taxes on crypto, making it so that contractors might be out of a job with things like the PRO Act that they're putting in there. 
It's this kind of stuff that I think does not really serve our populations. It's serving political constituencies. It's serving labor unions. It's serving a lot of different uh, interests who have a lot of pull in D.C. Uh, so that's why we're really trying to push against that. We're trying to represent the consumer and say, hey, here's actually how you'll be impacted. Here's what you can do to stop it. You know, we have reached out to a lot of legislators in the last couple of weeks trying to <laughs> trying to get our voice in the mix. I mean, it's it's a busy cacophony there in D.C., and uh, I won't purport to be louder than anyone else, uh, but I hope we represent for the consumer and we'll continue to do so because there's a lot of stuff in here, Joe, that I think a lot of people would be really incensed by. Yeah, Yelosowski with the Consumer Choice Center, uh, again, highlighting a topic uh, that, uh, well, made some headlines this week in Washington, D.C., a part of this bipartisan uh, agreement and procedural vote to move forward with this uh, $1.2 trillion infrastructure deal. And again, awaiting the details, the devil in the details, uh, yet already with the support of, uh, well, our two senators and Richard Burr and Tom Tillis, along with uh, 15 other Republicans no legislative text as far as uh, you know what is included in the bill. So uh, following uh, the old Nancy Pelosi way of thought, huh, Yael, let's uh, pass the bill before we find out what's in it. Yeah, we have to talk about that for a second. That's inherently bogus. I mean, just imagine you're about to do business with someone and you don't get the contract until one minute before you sign. <laughs> That's essentially what's happening here. How are you supposed to read through? I mean, this is probably going to end up being about 8,000 pages. How is any human being let alone a computer, is supposed to read all of this and actually understand. I think these are the kind of games that happen when there's a lot of this, you know, political behind the scenes, dark rooms. They got the cigar smoke everywhere or you know, maybe vape smoke, I hope. But it's this kind of stuff that, that really makes you cynical because, you know, where's the normal process of this? You know, where at least the North Carolina legislature, if they got bills, they put out a draft, people debate it, stakeholders come and they testify here we have absolutely nothing but a couple of deals. Maybe it's people on the golf course or I guess at the vegan restaurant coming up with what we're going to spend $1.2 trillion on. Mm. It's frankly ridiculous. And any other country, when they debate bills this large, I mean, they have everyone weighing in on it. They give people time to read the bill, to pick it out. If they're just going to throw it on a Friday and then it's got to be voted on in the midnight hours, yeah, that doesn't look too good. I, I'm, I'm not a, a big fan of that. I'd actually prefer to have gridlock when it comes to government, because then we know at least new taxes are not being passed and new regulations. Uh, but overall, I'm not too confident in this process. That's why it's better. It's better politics, Joe. Yael Lasowski with the Consumer Choice Center. Yael, before I let you go, I know how much you're an advocate for privatizing the liquor industry here in the state of North Carolina, given the uh, fact that uh, well, some are saying we're on the cusp of a liquor shortage here in North Carolina. Ohio, I believe New Hampshire are the three states the article highlighted. Uh, well, why? Well, because the government uh, controls the booze here in the state of North Carolina. All in the while, Yael, our new Hanover County ABC board was out touting this week uh, that they just uh, issued $510,000 in grants uh, awarded through the fiscal year of 2021 and 2022. Uh, $510,000 in grants from the local ABC board issued to this group, that group, another organization here, there, everywhere. Yet I have had trouble finding my favorite taste at their local booze store as of late. Yeah, I, I forgot that part in the North Carolina state constitution where these local alcohol boards are supposed to be rewarding money as grants. <laughs> um, I think you could replace all of these boards with just computers. And the answer is always yes. 
because it's just the permits that you need to serve alcohol and this and that. You know, we just don't need to have these boards. North Carolina's system is totally archaic. We have 167 alcohol boards in 100 counties, and we see what happens when the state is put in charge of this liquor monopoly. They run out of supply. They don't know how to do business. And then people like you and me who just want to have a Cuba Libre at the end of the night, we get screwed. Mm. So it's pretty much time to get rid of this system. Uh, these guys are just laughing stocks. Again, we could replace them all by computers. It'd be much more efficient, much better. Uh, maybe we could just put some AI stuff in there, hire some app developers and get our ABC app. And the answer will always be yes. And one more, please, bartender. Yael Osowski, a part of the Consumer Choice Center, the global grassroots movement for consumer choice, uh, with us each and every week uh, to close out uh, the program here on a Freedom Friday. Yael, it's a pleasure, my friend. And we look forward to hearing your show tomorrow at 10 o'clock here on The Big Talker. Oh, yes, sir. It'll be a doozy. Thanks so much, and happy Freedom Friday. Yeah, Yelisowski, ConsumerChoiceCenter.org. You can find the latest in consumer news here across the states and around the world at ConsumerChoiceCenter.org.